wonderful to be with you. God bless you. Why don't you take a moment just to turn around and say hi to each other. I don't think we've had a chance to do that yet. Just greet one another. Bless each other. Amen. Amen. Well, as Linda mentioned, we're in a series on our values as a church. We're looking at our values as a church in preparation for Vision Sunday. And and this is really the, the DNA question that Bob mentioned last week. What makes us us? Who are we as a community of faith? And today we're looking at our fourth value. The other three that we've looked at so far, we want to be a renewed humanity, a priesthood of all believers, a church of disciple makers, and today, if you've been around this church over the, at all over the last few weeks, I doubt this one's going to surprise you at all, we want to be a people of the Holy Spirit. And let me read this value to you, which will be on the next slide, a people of the Holy Spirit who practice God's presence with maturity, passion, and grace. A community of both word and spirit, biblical, joyful, creative, thoughtful, supernatural. We desire the gifts and power of the spirit for ministry and service and encourage everyone to join in. We'll also draw from church history and engage with ancient spiritual practices such as rest, meditation, fasting, and silence. We are one, and we pray that by his spirit, God will do the impossible. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be together this morning, to look at your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be equipped, to be strengthened, to be built up. And Father, I thank you that you have poured out your Holy Spirit on the church As we see in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, your spirit like tongues of fire rested on your people and filled them with courage and boldness and power to do the ministry of Jesus, to go and make disciples, to be your people. So we can't do this without your spirit. We thank you that you've not left us as orphans, but Lord Jesus, as you said, you would fill us with yourself with the spirit of truth who would reveal you to us, who would lead us into all truth. And so we pray that as we look at this promise together this morning that you would do that, that you would 
challenge us where we need to be challenged and comfort us where we need to be comforted. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so it's the year 2005, and we were a few months into our church planting adventure in Vancouver. Um, And it had started out pretty well. We had a really good core team that had gathered. Uh, Students from the university were beginning to join us. They were coming along, we'd already seen, we're a few weeks in, we'd already seen some wonderful people come to faith uh, in Jesus. There was loads of excitement, and all of that was really awesome. But I was also starting to realize, you know, as a leader planting a church for the first time, being in my mid-twenties, that um, I actually had no idea what I was doing. Now, we'd done a lot of research, we'd done a lot of planning, I'd written some amazing sounding mission plan documents, like, it was going to be incredible on paper. But you know, like in a war zone, once the guns start firing, the plan goes out the window and it's just, you know, we're doing whatever we can to survive and that's how it felt. We were holding on for dear life and all of this stuff was going on and I didn't know what I was doing. And one of the things that was happening is that conflict was beginning to emerge in the leadership team, kind of in the core leadership team. Because we had a lot of competing ideas about what kind of church we were going to be. Now we had talked about all these things, but it became apparent that once we actually got going, that everyone was bringing their own idea of what sort of church they wanted this to be, often actually coming out of broken experiences of their disappointments with the church in the past, and they were bringing that into the team, and it was causing conflict because there wasn't unity among us about what we were actually doing. And so I was too inexperienced as a leader to know how to chart a course through that, to kind of bring us all together and figure that out. And as a result, the conflict got worse, and a number of the core team left the church. And I was reeling, like these were people who we had prayed with and said, we're gonna do this together, we're gonna be together through thick and thin, we're gonna plant this church and see God do something amazing, and then they left. And I was disappointed and hurting and struggling to figure out what the future was gonna look like for us. Now it was about that time that I was invited to go uh, by Alpha Canada down to um, a conference just across the border in the US to spend a, a few days with Sandy Miller. How many of you know who Sandy Miller is? Sandy Miller was the uh, vicar of HTB in London, the Alpha Church. We're a big fan of Alpha, we love HTB. And um, Sandy was the guy who really brought Nikki and a bunch of the others together and got the Alpha course going. And the impact that they've had on the world is incredible. But I got the privilege of just spending a few days with Sandy with a group of other pastors and just sitting under his ministry. And it was refreshing and beautiful. And if you know Sandy, uh, you'll know at that time he was in his 70s, he's quite a bit older now. But if you know Sandy, and if you've ever met him or seen him speak, you'll know that he's just such a warm and gentle person. Uh, And it's kind of disarming because he's so warm and gentle and pastoral, but then when he begins to speak and, uh, and teach from the scriptures, he carries within him an incredible authority. And it's so powerful. Uh, and so I was just lapping this up and um, sitting under his teaching. And what I saw in those few days while I was with Sandy and with these other pastors, was, as we were talking about church and leadership and life, I got to see something which I had been longing for uh, for my whole life. And 
what I got to see was that you can actually be in an environment where there is rich biblical teaching, where we open up the scriptures and we dig into it together and we honor the word of God and we study it carefully, but you can also then step into the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and do the work of Jesus by, by the gifts that the Spirit provides. I saw something that I had been longing for. I saw a ministry of both word and spirit. In many contexts, as I'm sure you guys are aware, you'll be in a church where they're very strong in the word, you know, strong expositional, expository, exegetical preaching, but there's very little space given to the, the gifts of the spirit, other than teaching and, and the pastoral gifts. And so we dig into the word, we teach it, we believe it, but we don't really know how to live it, right? We're not creating space for the gifts of the spirit to be at work. And then, of course, there's the opposite problem where you've, you've got churches that uh, treat the Bible like um, a choose-your-own-adventure novel. You know, grab a verse here and a verse there, but you know, the real stuff isn't happening until we kind of get into the ministry and we start using the gifts of the Spirit. And the problem is, of course, that if you're, uh, if you're doing that unmoored from the Bible, it can end up going into some really weird territory and become actually quite abusive and controlling and traumatizing. Uh, and often centers around a very charismatic individual who's very powerful and, a, and a, you know, an amazing communicator and is gifted in the Lord, of course, but it becomes centered on them and that becomes very dangerous and we often, when we've, we've seen uh, all too often how that ends. Now, I didn't, want to, I didn't want either of those things and what I saw in Sandy was a humble, gracious, wise ministry steeped in the word of God, in the centrality of the word of God, but also giving space for the spirit to move and work among the people of God. And I came away so encouraged that you can actually have both. You can do both, and it really shouldn't be a surprise to us at all, should it, since uh, the word of God and the spirit of God are not somehow separate from one another. The, the word is the inspired word of God spoken through the centuries to the prophets and the, the leaders of Israel and then through the church, the, the foundation of the apostles and prophets and primarily in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, if you can turn there with me, please, Ephesians 2, it will also be on the screen. Paul says that, if I can find it, I know it's on the screen but I do want to use my Bible here. Ephesians 2, Paul writes this in verse 19, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So friends, what Paul is saying is that the church is established in both of those realities, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that's the scriptures, that's the old covenant and the new covenant, the foundation of the word of God, but it's being built 
by the indwelling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's established on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the word of God, the scriptures, but is being built together and in him, all of us are being joined together in, uh, in, to become a dwelling in which God will live by his spirit. So the work of the spirit and the work of the word are united in the establishment and the building and the maturing of the church, the body of Christ. So an amen here this morning. You have to have both, and both are essential for the church to grow up into maturity. And so what I got to see in Sandy's ministry was incredible teaching, and then at the end of each session, he would pause, and he would say, in his very posh British accent, we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit now to come and move among us. In his very gentle way, just almost, maybe not exactly like that, but pretty close. And he'd say, come Holy Spirit, what would you like to do among us now? And we'd wait, and then the Spirit would begin to move. And Sandy would begin to prophesy, or we would begin to pray and prophesy over one another, or we'd begin to sing in the Spirit, in tongues. Uh, and then there'd be interpretation of tongues, there'd be prayer for healing, prayer for empowerment. Like, and it was just electric and powerful. We could feel God in the room. And I thought to myself, this is what it's all about. Established on the foundation of the word of God so we have a strong anchor for our souls. But then empowered by the spirit moving among the people of God where the gifts of the spirit are being expressed. And the gifts of the spirit, friends, are really just a way of saying the ministry of Jesus among the people of God. All the things that we saw Jesus doing, we wanna see happening among us, don't we? I mean, we, 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 we preach it, we believe it, we pray for it, so let's do it. And that is a promise of the ministry of the Spirit among us, the gifts of the Spirit among us. And if we want to grow up into faithfulness and fruitfulness, we need both. And that's why we've expressed, if we could just put the value back up again, please, that's why we expressed this in our second value, that we will be, under the rubric of a people of the Holy Spirit, we will be a church of both word and spirit, because that's the heart of it. And we want to be mature in these things. We want to grow up into them and be gracious. The Greek word for the gifts is charis, uh, grace, the grace of the Spirit among us, the gifts of the Spirit among us. The Spirit is our gift from the Father, to put to work, to enable us to do what Jesus calls us to do. And that is a gift that's been given to every single one of you if you are in Christ Jesus. And that means there are gifts that God has given you that he wants you to offer to the world, to others. There are incredible treasures in you that the Lord wants to stir up so that you can express those things and bless others and enable your life to be partnered with the ministry of Jesus where he's placed you. That's why the Spirit has been given to the church to help us participate in the will of God. Amen. And so we want to grow up into these things and not be afraid of it, but to celebrate it and be passionate about it. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Desire these things, friends. Pray for them. Ask for them. Don't be afraid to ask for what you long to see God do in and through your life. You're allowed to, you're commanded to actually pray for these things, eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
So word and spirit means will be biblical, and that's essential, and we're going to talk about that a bit more in a moment, but we also want to be joyful and creative um, as we engage with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And if you turn over to Ephesians 5, this is what Paul says about what happens in a local church when the Spirit of God gets moving. This is what he says, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do we know what the Lord's will is? By reading the Word of God. So don't be foolish, don't be immature, don't be unwise, be wise, be mature, be established in wisdom. Uh, understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens when the Holy Spirit gets moving in a place is that, according to Paul in Ephesians 5, there's going to be an overflow of joy and thankfulness and creativity and music, uh, the arts and poetry, and they'll be, they'll be dancing. Maybe they'll be dancing here one day at one community church. We will see. There'll be songs from the Holy Spirit, songs sung in tongues, songs that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Do you see the picture he's painting for us here that when the Holy Spirit is at work in the body of Christ, there's an overflow of creativity and thankfulness and joy and celebration and music and worship, right? And that's, I think, one of the ways that you can tell uh, if the Spirit of God is being given permission to move in a place is look at the way that people worship. Now, I'm not talking about whether you raise your hands or not. I'm talking about whether it's really coming from the heart. Is there a passionate desire to seek the face of God? Are we longing for his presence? Are we praying like our lives depend on it? You know, is there a sense of celebration and joy? Or are we all kind of clammed up, you know, afraid of what people might think of us if we lift our hands or sing too loudly or sing off key? You know, you can tell when you're in a place where there's, there isn't freedom for the Holy Spirit to move, but you can tell when you are in a community where there's freedom for the Spirit to move, there's a sense of peace in the way they worship. It's not stressful, it's open-hearted, it's thankful, it's joyful, and people long to enter in together. Don't we wanna be a church like that? And we will be supernatural friends. We'll see the gifts of the Spirit at work and we will long for everyone to partner with that, to participate with that. So Ephesians 4, Let's look at this, Ephesians 4, Paul says that Christ himself gave the apostles, so he's talking about what Christ has done for us, first of all, at the beginning of chapter four, and then Christ has ascended, he says, and then after his ascension, he has sent gifts through the Spirit of God. Christ himself, so the gifts of the Spirit are from Jesus himself, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Don't you love that sentence? The cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, all of us, all of us reaching unity. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together until every supporting ligament, every person in the church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What are the consequences of not letting the Holy Spirit move in such a way in the church that the gifts of the Spirit can be expressed? What are the consequences? You read Ephesians 4 and the consequences are that the church stays trapped in immaturity. It doesn't grow up. It's foolish. It's vulnerable. It's tossed here and there by every wind of teaching. It is not being established in love. That is the cost of not letting the Holy Spirit do his work. If we resist or grieve or quench the Spirit, we are condemning ourselves to a church experience of immaturity, of foolishness, of, of being vulnerable to deceit, of not growing up and not being an empowering place where everyone finds their calling and their ministry and are, and are able to in confidence express that ministry both within the body and in the world. That's the consequence. And so as a church, we have to be committed uh, to allowing the Spirit of God to work among us as we study the Word, yes, but then put it into practice, not just being hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word also. If we allow the Spirit of God to do among us what He wants to do, the benefit is, the reward is that we grow up into maturity, we become established, we become wise, we become strong, we become uh, enabled and empowered to help one another, do what Jesus has called us to do, building ourselves up in love as each part, as each person does what they've been called to. Are you with me? This is why this has to be one of our values because if we ignore this, we imperil ourselves to a church experience as the body of Christ here in Blackburn uh, of immaturity and, uh, and vulnerability and powerlessness. We might have great Bible knowledge. You know, there's a big difference between knowing the Bible in terms of information and knowing then how to put it into practice. Now, we've talked a lot about, um, over these last few weeks, about how we can step into some of these things in terms of engaging with the Holy Spirit, learning to pray, studying Scripture, um, we did some of that with our Naturally Supernatural series, so I'm not going to go back over that. But I do want to just talk a little bit more about our relationship with the Word of God for a moment. So I think I've made my point about the Holy Spirit pretty strong. Let's talk about the Word of God for a moment. Uh, as Christians, we are people of Scripture. We are people of the book. We are shaped by the Bible and everything we do and everything we understand about being a follower of Jesus is established on the foundation of the Word of God, of the Scriptures. And that's what Paul makes clear in Ephesians 2, uh, and there are so many other passages we could draw on. And you simply cannot have a rich, growing, deep relationship with God without encountering Him in His Word. 
That's what we see in the life of Jesus, don't we? Jesus was a man of the scriptures, of the word of God. He quoted scripture, he used it in spiritual warfare uh, when he was tempted by the devil in in the desert. When he was troubled and anxious, he would pray the scriptures. He prayed the Psalms in the Garden of Gethsemane. He quotes scripture continually, and he understood his own identity and mission uh, in terms of what the scriptures themselves had promised. So Jesus was a man of the scriptures, of the word of God. And so following his example, which is our example for all of life, uh, we should be the same way, do the same thing, have the same heart. Be men and women immersed and oriented around and obedient to the scriptures. But here's the thing, the scriptures don't stand alone. Uh, The word of God, as I've already mentioned, was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it is the spirit and the word working together in us to enable us to encounter God and to be transformed. This is what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. You have it on the screen. Uh, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now this is the thing, all scripture is God breathed. We know that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the Ruach of God. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's us, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? So we know that the scriptures are foundational for us in terms of how we understand salvation, the ministry of Jesus, and what it means to be equipped in righteousness to do the will of God, and to uh, understand how we can partner with Jesus in every good work. We need to be reminded, friends, sometimes though, don't we, uh, that the word of God actually is powerful. We need to be reminded that the word of God is powerful powerful and that the Spirit of God works through the Word to transform your life and to renew your mind. Rob Reimer says this, when the Spirit breathes on a word in Scripture, it stirs within you, it leaps off the page at you. And this is the moment of divine breakthrough. This is the moment, if you'll let it, when the piercing of the heart can take place and the deep work of transformation can begin. Every time you pick up the Bible, you are one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with the living God. You are one breath, I love that, away. One Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with the living God. Is that how you approach the scriptures when you read it? I understand, we're very busy. And it's very hard to engage deeply with the Bible. And unfortunately, that means we often turn it into a book of pious platitudes or encouraging little thoughts to help us get through the day. And it's, it ends up being a bit like, you know, a catch up at the cafe. You see someone, you know, at Aunt Billy's that you know, you're there just minding your own business, going through your work, and you bump into someone you know. It happens to me a lot when I go there. It's quick little check-ins, like, hey, it's great to see you. You know, you're, wow, you're, you guys are so awesome. Love you guys, amazing. And then, see you later, I'm just gonna get back to the rest of my life. And that's often how it goes when we 
when we read the scriptures, it's a quick little check-in, a little pop-in. Hey, God, how's it going? Lovely to see you. You're awesome. Now I'm just going to get back to the rest of my life. Oops. Psalm 19. This is what the word of God can actually do in us if we will let it. The law, the word of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb, doubly sweet. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me and then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Who can indeed discern their own errors? And the problem for many of us, uh, if we've been a Christian for a while, is like, yeah, yeah, I, I know the Bible, I know Ephesians, I know Luke, you know, my small group, we studied Ephesians last term, I'm like a Jedi in Ephesians. Right, tell that to your life. Okay, there's a big difference between knowing the information contained in the Bible and letting that transform you, deal with the deep stuff in you, the stuff that you don't want to deal with, the stuff you don't like to bring into the light, and yet as Psalm 19 tells us, the the words of the Lord are pure and radiant, giving light to the eyes, establishing us in righteousness and truth and purity, healing our lives and our minds and our bodies when we let the word of God go into deep places within us. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But that just takes time to sit in the word and let it speak to you. And so too many of us, we come to the word of God um, standing over it, interrogating the word. We know what it says, and I just need some kind of quick encouragement from it to help me through the day. Instead of coming to the word with humility and with repentance and sitting under it and letting it speak to you and judge you and deal with your innermost thoughts, because it will if you'll let it. The the word of God is living and active. It is God-breathed, and when you let the word of God speak to you as you sit under it in humility, it will change your life. It will renew your mind, and by that, you will be transformed but it's not instantaneous, it doesn't just happen like that. You've got to sit with the word and study it carefully and ask as we read it, come Holy Spirit, teach me, lead me, guide me, help me. Um, and for, for so many of us, you know, we, we, um, we, we self-select our spiritual formation. Like we, um, we, we go to the stuff that we like, we go to the church services that we like, we listen to the speakers that we like, 
because they're the ones that we find most encouraging and helpful, and none of that is wrong, but if we self-select our spiritual formation all the time, we'll almost never let God deal with the stuff in us that he really needs to deal with. Come on, you all know I'm, I'm, I'm talking the truth here. None of us like God putting his finger on the stuff in us that is, that is unrighteous or broken or hurting, but that's what he will do if we'll let him. Notice that in 2 Timothy, Paul says that the word of God will um, uh, teach us, yes, it will rebuke us, it will correct us, and it will train us. Now, ultimately, that leads to our comfort and our strength and our encouragement, but there's got to be some hard work done first, often. The rebuking, the correcting, the training, right? And then comes peace and freedom and joy as we deal with the crap in our lives that God needs to deal with so that we can step fully into the life that Jesus is calling us to live. Brennan Manning writes this, because we approach the gospel with preconceived notions of what it should say rather than what it does say, the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. It no longer sweeps like a wild storm into the corners of our comfortable piety. It no longer vibrates like sharp lightning in the dark recesses of our minds. The gospel becomes, in the words of Gertrude Stein, a pattering of pious platitudes spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. Have you ever met a new believer and seen how they engage with the Bible? Anyone? You know what happens when someone who's just come to faith begins to read the Bible? It's like a treasure chest of the most incredible things. And you sit with them and they'll be like, oh, wow, God said this to me and I read this and it was amazing and I'm like, oh, my mind is blown. And yet for so many of us, we've been Christians for a long time and it's just like, yep, no, I know that, read that, got that. And it becomes kind of boring and lifeless. And then we wonder why it's powerless for us. We've got to begin to pray as a gift from the Holy Spirit that he will set our hearts on fire again so that when we open up the scriptures, they are life to us. They are the words of God to us again. Are you with me? So let's pray into that. And also in keeping with what the scriptures do teach us about the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that when we gather, we should expect that there's teaching, there's exhortation, there's preaching, but there'll also be other things that happen. Prophesying, and there'll be tongues, and there'll be interpretation, and there'll be prayers for healing, and there'll be miracles, and there'll be salvation. Like, we're really good at the teaching pastoral stuff, maybe the, the evangelism stuff, those three gifts we're comfortable with, but the prophets and the apostles, not so sure about them. Love pastors, love teachers, evangelists, yeah, they're, they're awesome, but that's not my calling. I'll let them do it. But apostles and prophets, wow, what is that about? And that's where we're walking with a limp often because we've only got some of the gifts of the Spirit in operation. We need all of them but we need to do it in a way that's mature and wise and biblical and careful and gentle and loving. 
Because in the midst of all that stuff about spiritual gifts, what do we get? 1 Corinthians 13, that incredible passage on love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. So that's the way we're meant to engage in these things, in the love of Christ. Not trying to force each other into a particular mold, but gently and lovingly calling each other up into everything that Christ wants for each one of us. And imagine that, right? Imagine if this room was filled with people, confident in their calling, knowing what they've been gifted to do, strong in the Holy Spirit, confident in, in the power of the Spirit through them. Like, we would, change, we would change the world. And God is doing that already, beginning to stir that among us, and it's incredible. And so I wanna just take a moment to pray into that together. I invite you to stand with me. I'm gonna ask the band to come on up as we do this. I want to keep this very simple, very simple. I invite you just to close your eyes, open up your hands. The breath of God. Just take a deep breath, breathe in the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. What would you like to do among us right now? What would you like to do? Take a deep breath. Come, Holy Spirit. It's feeling like the Lord is saying that there's a there's some people here today who got some bad news this week. Maybe it's um, a health issue or a financial issue or something to do with a loved one that's you, just while we've all got our eyes closed, I invite you just to raise your hands to your Father in heaven. If you've got some bad news this week and you need some comfort from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Come and just pour out Holy Spirit on, on those folks who need you right now to be their comfort. Wrap yourself around them. Remind them that no matter what may go on, you are with us always. Pray for strength and courage in Jesus' name. If anyone here would just like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be refreshed, maybe you have grown a little jaded, a little cold in your heart, and you want that fire to burn again, those fires of his love, thank you, Jesus. 
just reach out to him and invite him. You don't need someone to pray for you. The Spirit of God is here. He is with you. Just reach out to him. Say, come, fill me again. Fill me again, Lord. Refresh me. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that not only did you give us your son to die in our place, to save us from our sins, but you sent your spirit so that we would never be left as orphans, never be left to figure this out for ourselves that you are with us. And you've given us your word, which is record of your speech and your actions throughout history and we can read that and it's still living and active and I pray that everyone here uh, this week will when they open up the word it'll be living again for them and as they read it it'll be life to them again Lord thank you and we bless you we love you keep leading us into all you have for this church and for each individual. And as we prepare for next Sunday, Vision Sunday, I pray, Lord, that um, this work we've done in the values and what we're praying for for the future will really set us on a path to being the church that you have called us to be. That's our heart. Lord, we want to fulfill your purposes for us in our own time and place in this generation. We're going to sing in, in a moment. Just before I finish, I have a, one last thing. I feel like the Spirit has just impressed upon me that there's a number of you here this morning who've been praying for loved ones to come to know Jesus. And I just want to pray into that real, real quick. If you've got a loved one or a friend that you're crying out to God for that they might meet Him and be healed and transformed, Let's pray for that right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you have done everything that is necessary for us to be reconciled to God. And I pray, Lord, and thank you that you've sent your spirit into the world to convict of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And I pray that those that we are longing to see meet you, we're longing for, would experience that conviction today, that they would feel the weight of your presence and they would hear your voice calling to them and they would respond, Lord Jesus, to the overtures of your love that they might know you and give themselves to you in the same way that you've given yourself to us. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for those we love who are lost, that you might find them as the good shepherd goes after the one. You're searching for them, Lord. We believe that. We pray that you would find them and bring them home and there'd be much rejoicing as you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.